wasn't out there. Um, keys just get pucks deep, you know, play the corners hard, see if good things will happen for us. Yep, we're back. Just dishing at 72. Um, man, it's gonna be a gonna be a time today, dudes. I love talking to our guests today, but we're gonna rip a nice interview with him. Um, and then we're off to the Harbor Center for a beautiful Monday primetime sweaty beer league game in the in the summer heat here. This is this is a big one. This is for playoff seating, buddy. Uh You've been uh, you've been hitting the stretches. You've been hitting the, the foam roller. You ready to go? Oh yeah, Luke and I got a good skate in last night um, in our Love other that. league. Wrapped up uh, winning the championship. Not a big deal. There you um, go. And yeah, getting ready for tonight. I um, was hitting some of the uh, the stretching on my lunch break today, working from home. So just trying to get loose. You yeah. Know? Play a little sewer ball with yourself. Get after it. Yeah, exactly. I love it. Absolutely love it. I were I did a nice core and shoulders day today, so I'm I'm a little tuned up, ready to go. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. But uh, how's the week been so far? How was the weekend? Uh, weekend was uh, it was tough. I played a three day golf tournament, member member out at Wildwood where I used to work. My partner and I came in second place in our flight by half a point. Um, absolute heartbreaker the last two holes to. Uh, to lose it but uh it's always fun getting to play some competitive golf and uh for sure know, put myself in those spots so it's, yeah. it's a good time i enjoyed it yeah i got a i got a dose of that coming up myself on friday uh tournament to benefit st jude children's hospital gonna tear it up out there at concord crest not a big deal shot a 37 and a 38 the last time i played there so yeah Benny, Benny Birdies. Yeah, Still calling I was, you Benny uh, Birdies. No, no, no. I, mean, I think it was a 37 and a 39. Decent. Yeah. So I got I got the card somewhere because it was the best fucking round I've ever had. But, you know, we'll, we'll get there. Um, very, very scorable hole. Got a good group. Um, haven't played in a full-on tournament yet this year. So excited for it. Um, but, yeah, with that. I don't want to waste any more time bringing in our guest this week. Uh, he is a writer for The Athletic, um, making his second appearance on the show. Always a great pleasure to talk to him. Please welcome Sean Shapiro to the stream. Sean, thanks for making the time with us, man. Appreciate it as always. How are you? I'm good. I'm good, guys. You're making me feel bad about my very subpar uh, golf game in a bad way. Right <laughs> oh, man. What are you I'm shooting always, these my, days? You Do you get time to get out regularly, though? I mean, I, that could be the X factor, I'm sure. Yeah, I I didn't start – I didn't pick it up and start playing consistently until about two years ago. So it's something where wow. I'm still at the part when I play. It's kind of – the goal is to hit 100 when you're playing 18. And yeah. shot, last time I played, I was very – Hit a nut, shot 98 last time I played, so that was a success, and that's kind of yeah. where I am in the in the world of golf right now. So, concept of uh, even being mad enough to complain about finishing second—that's a, a dream. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I know a lot, of, a lot of lonely afternoons on the driving range go into that one, I guess. But yeah. right, but also it's just like I was lucky enough, my. I grew up around it. My dad, you know, in the summer, he mowed a putting green in the backyard. I had enough room. It was like a little par three. So it's just whenever you pick it up, right? But here's some solace for you, Sean. 
I've definitely shot a 98 this summer and I've been playing that long. So it's look, a, there you go, it evens out. It's still very easy for uh I've I've watched guys go out there that are that are very low handicaps and throw up a 90. So it's uh it's a yeah. very fine line. It's very easy to to uh let it get away from you. Yeah, it is but. it is such a humbling sport. It really is. I you you really can test yourself sometimes for sure. Um but let's let's just start there though i mean like yeah. is that something that you incorporate kind of you know i mean you covered all kinds of things as a journalist yeah. but like hockey is you know a, a big thing for you obviously do you take time for like vacations in the summer are you taking that approach or does your routine change very much and yeah, you know I mean, the off season for yeah. the nhl yeah it definitely changes i mean that's something where you kind of you have to in, in this field, I don't have, I'm not of the stature of the, uh, you, you see all the insiders. It's, it's, I, we, the we Bob McKenzie's like, of the world. Yeah, the Bob McKenzie's of the world, the Pierre Lebrun's of the world. You always laugh at like the day after free agency, they all just disappear and go to their cottages and everything like that. Like that's the, uh, that's, that's the extreme example that uh, I, I don't have the Canadian cottage money to, <laughs> to, be, able, yeah. to be able to do that. But uh, it is, it is. I mean, you, you do have to, because hockey journalism, journalism in general, right? Like it's a 24, 7, 365. Not, I mean, once the season starts, it becomes that 24, 7, you're, you're kind of always on the go. Um, one of the biggest things that I think a lot of people, like, one of the things I think a lot of people don't, and you guys probably have gotten a taste for this with, with what you guys have done and everything like that. But one of the things that someone who's working a nine to five or, or a job, one of the nice things about that you don't have, and I'm not complaining about this, but just the reality is you go home from work and your work day is over, right? Like, yeah. it's not like, it's not like your phone is all of a sudden going to go pull you back to work. And so kind of, and that can, that happens in the off seasons. There's times where the phone will ring and all of a sudden you're like, okay, I got to do something. But that obviously happens so much, usually starting, usually starting about mid September. So you got, you got to use the, you got to use the off season to, get away a little bit. You got to, um, you got, you got to, you got to take some time. You got to work less hours. You got to do it so you don't get burned out. Otherwise you, otherwise you will. I mean, it's, yeah. uh, no big, uh, for me, it's not the no big trips or anything like that, but it's just a nice way just to take some time off, have a slower time, spend some time, spend some more family. Those things are big for me in the summer. And mm. it's, I think it's just like the very, cliche what any hockey player's answer would be but obviously they've got much bigger budget than than i do yeah of course right um but yeah i find that too where you know for for tutor and i specifically right and if derek uh, you know i, I should have mentioned too uh derek just unfortunately unavailable today filling in as the producer that's what we do on the show we pick up uh we pick things up we're uh jack of all trades guys when it comes to this podcasting but um yeah I, specifically with tutor and i on here obviously you know, just dishing it and then everything that goes into just dishing and skate skins for me. And then on top of another endeavor Tudor has with, um, you know, the app he's trying to launch there, um, you know, for the food allergy and whatever. And Conquer is the name of it. But we also still work nine to fives for the time being. So we regularly get the balance of both. And we have that kind of dose of like, I have the consistency over here, yeah. like my day's done. But as soon as that day's done, for us, sometimes you're picking up the other thing. So I, I can definitely 
understand that that side of you know both of them i've experienced both of them i know tutor obviously has too yeah it's not there's nothing complaining not complaining about it but it's just a reality of it where exactly it's, like, it's very it's a very simple thing where you'll have uh you'll it'll be seven o'clock you're eating dinner and something buzzes on your phone you're like okay i gotta go work on this like that's just mm. a, that's a reality that's part of this job and that's fine though that's you know you're getting as long as you know you're getting into that that's that's fine right what was uh was there a couple of things like that for you this season that that really stuck out that took you away uh, from the dinner table um let's see i mean the most recent the, the biggest one that kind of took away a ton of time that just i remember being like all of a sudden i had I disappeared for a while but this was I know this was before last season, but about a year ago now it was right around the time when we were talking with all of the the ESPN Turner TV deal and that, and I was tracking a lot of yeah. stuff with that. And I remember that was one of those uh, that was one of those moments just because. And the reason this is fresh in my mind, I was actually at my in we were actually at my in laws getting dinner there with my in laws that night, and so like yeah. my wife is uh, fully understanding and supportive and really knows kind of what for lack of a better word she signed up for when we got married but uh <laughs> my, but the uh we were at my in-laws house and something got news about something with the espn or the turnover which one dinner we were eating at the in-laws and it was right around that time i got a heads up uh, about something was either had happened or was about to happen with the turner and espn deal and all of a sudden i'm bouncing down to the basement and making some calls and disappeared that was supposed to be a uh disappeared from what was supposed to be a friendly family dinner. Now there's, there's certain, I've kind of, I've gotten better about it. There's been times for me, um, I've gotten a lot better about where the bar is for like what, uh, requires me to, uh, what require what requires me to step away from a family dinner and stuff like yeah. that. There's the bar used to be a lot lower. Um, I used to be bad about it. Yeah. There, there's the beginning you're very, as you, as you kind of grow at the industry, you start to learn what's, what's worth, not worth your time, but what's worth stepping away and what's not and figuring out the, that right balance, right? Between when, when you're going to, when you're going to jump and hop on something, when it's worth sitting back and saying, okay, I'll get to it later. That, that it's, that's, that's an interesting, it's kind of like that work-life balance that I, uh, I got a lot better at myself over the past couple of years. It's something I used to be, uh, I used to be pretty bad at it's something where I think a lot of, I think it's a lot of people um a lot of people in if you're in the journalism industry you're in a lot of industries right you end up having a bit of that workaholic gene and everything like that and so kind of figuring out the uh the right way of knowing when to step back when you're gonna when when you can when is it is, is it worth are you gonna be able to tell the best story in that moment um, if you're not, you really need to step away from it. So it's just kind of figuring out where that bar is and, and everything like that. And for me, it's something that's changed and it's become a much better, it's been become a healthier setup for me where I now know when to spend my time doing this and when not to. And it just, it just kind of helps everything. Like when you've got that better, that proper work-life balance, which yeah. we all kind of need to find at times. So, right. Because eventually that. you realize it makes you better at both, right? It makes yeah. you a better father or husband and then, you know, a better writer. But sorry to cut you off, too. What you got? No, I just want to ask, too, on that. Like, yeah. does that bar shift based on 
what you accomplish as well. Like early in your career, is that bar lower because you're really trying to cut your teeth in the industry and make that name for yourself? And then once you prove yourself, you kind of earn the right to step away a little bit more. Or how does that flow work? I, I think that's I think that's fair. I think that's I think that can definitely I think that can definitely contribute to it because there's the, those times where when you're trying to earlier in your career, as you're trying to figure things out, you're, you're going to, you want to jump at every opportunity you want to um, say, okay, I'm going to dive hard on this and that and everything like that. And it's, you start to gain the experience of this. Okay. This was worth it. And that wasn't worth it. I think it's the same thing you figure out with, with every job and in every role, like just I figured this stuff out when I was, I figured out what worked and what didn't when I was the stars beat writer. I figure I'm still learning and figuring out what works and what doesn't my current role at the athletic covering bigger stuff in the business of the sport and everything like that. To me, it's kind of that experience. It's not a part of it is to, to not call it partially a privilege would be wrong because part of it is a privilege. Like part of it is you're like, okay, I know. And I know I've reached a stage where, for me to write about it or for me to, to spend my time on this, it's, it's worth it. So part of it is a privilege, but uh, the other biggest part of it is, I think is an experience thing where you start to, that's where you learn what works and what doesn't. And that's the only way you can kind of figure out the next steps in this field. And in, in, in almost any field I would imagine is by through the, through that experience of testing, do you have, okay, so there's this signing. Okay. I'm going to go right. I'm going to go right the hell out of this. I'm going to go write everything about this. And you're like, all right, well, I see five, like I'm exaggerating here, but like five people, only five people cared about that. You're like, okay, well, did I really need to go bend over backwards to write a story about, about this, about this AHL signing the stars made? Now you probably still make those calls. Like, I think it, it just changes how you change, how you value your workload. And I think it, it also starts to the other big experience thing is you start to realize how valuable just having those conversations are and something you may not use in the moment. Like you may not like, you may not use that stuff or if there's a breaking news thing or whatever, you may not use that stuff in the moment, but maybe it helps you um, lay the groundwork for a better relationship professionally or for a better story in the future. Or like there's, there's, there's always these little nuggets you find and you see in stories that I always, and, and I see it, obviously I use it in my own work, but it's always interesting to see these little nuggets when you read a story and you'll see like, you're like, Hey, that person definitely didn't just get that from the player or from this coach or whatever tonight. That's something that they've known and has just been sitting there. And when something else popped up, that's when it was. And so I think you don't ever stop trying to collect those nuggets of the story and everything like that. Like a perfect example for me actually recently, um, the news broke this past week about the uh, NHL and and uh, Adidas are going to split their partnership, right? Like the NHL mm-hmm. and Adidas is no longer going to be doing the NHL jerseys. Um, we have kind of a breaking news team at the we have a breaking news team that does like kind of briefs and headlines at the Athletic, and so they were able to they they handled posting that. And me and my editor basically made the decision like, do we want me to write something about this right now? Do we I'm like well we can let we can let the brief and the headline handle this. But I still, I'm still making, I still probably made four or five calls that night, talked to a couple people. Things were like, okay, let's, we're going to save this either for a bigger story 
that we're either going to tell sometime soon or it's going to be something it's just going to be intel we're going to need to be to be able to best cover this six seven eight months from now whenever so it's 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 you never stop gathering the intel it's what you do with that intel in the moment and what you figure out um and, and what you figure out whether you're using it then and not that that's kind of how it changes i think with experience um and there is, there is, to go to your point, there is definitely a privilege of a part of being like, when you're new and you're trying to cut your teeth, you're going to jump on everything. And, and if someone's listening who wants to jump into this industry and everything like that, that's not the wrong approach. It's just you, as you learn and figure out what works, learn from it, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Makes not, it's not sustainable over the long yes. term yeah. or an mm -hmm. entire career, basically, right? Correct, correct. Yeah. I mean, is there stuff too when you're when you're making those phone calls and I've always kind of wondered this right with sources as they get comfortable with you as a reporter, they start to gain that trust with you. They'll obviously reach out to you and maybe give you things that somebody else doesn't get or doesn't get right away. But is there also sometimes a pressure to write a story out of it right away? Or do people get temperamental if they feel like, oh, well, I gave Sean this information. He never wrote about it. Like, does he not care? Like, is there pressure there too? Um, I think it, I think it kind of depends on the person. Like every relationship is, is very different. I, one thing that I've known that's been very interesting when it comes to one L there, there are certain relationships where what you don't report um, what you don't report sometimes gets you more in the long run. There'll be times, there's been times where um, I've, you've maybe known something, you've maybe known about something, um, you maybe know about something, maybe you uncover something and you know something and the only person you could get to confirm, and I'm not saying you should, you, I'm not saying you should do this to everything, but like when you don't go and, and, and you reach out to that person and that person is going to is maybe going to give you more because you don't go and like okay I'm going to go put this on Twitter when they're like okay well hey maybe we can talk more for a larger story 24 hours from now like that's that's kind of the other the other kind of maintaining of information thing where it's like showing discretion it, exactly the discretion there and kind of and growing that and then there are other people though there are especially if I, I I will say this to kind of get to your point where Sometimes you, someone gives you, if somebody gives you something or they're like, oh, well, why did you not write about this or whatever, or why is the, the pressure typically doesn't come from that, that pressure typically doesn't come from someone who is uh, not a PR person, honestly. Like there'll be times where you'll see like the, the, the only time you ever really see pressure and feel pressure like that is sometimes there'll be a PR person will get you someone or get you something. And then if you don't do something with it right away. You'll sometimes get the email and the question of like, Hey, when's that story coming out? When are you, when are you going to do something with this? It comes more from the PR people when something like that happens, when it comes from the, the subject and the characters of a story. Um, very rarely do you feel, do I see that where people are like pushing and being like, Hey, when is that going to come out? I sometimes feel that pressure myself. Like it's, it's funny. Sometimes you'll internally put it on yourself where you'll, you'll be like, ah, I feel bad. I haven't done anything with this right away. And you'll even tell the person and the person didn't really care, but it's, it's, it's definitely more of a, um, that's definitely a PR, not problem, the wrong word, but you definitely get that push from PR. Sometimes they'll be like, Hey, I got you this person. Where's that story or whatever. So that, that happens more in that realm than the, well, Hey, I'm calling about this that happened. Let's, let's talk as opposed to the person kind of pushing there. 
Interesting. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, it's always curious to learn, like the sources and when you always see the tweets like from a source and source close to all this stuff, it's always interesting. Learning as much as you can as an outsider about how that dynamic can kind of work, you know, on you know a case by case basis even. But yeah, that's that's super interesting. Do you have something as far as like um, I know you, you kind of gave an example already, yeah. but you know more in general of like a story, a big headline from, you know, whatever that could be that came out of, you know, NHL maybe specifically this year that you can recall where you're like, see, this was something that was information that was worked on pretty heavily, you know, over a longer period of time, you know, maybe, I don't know, stuff yeah. like something that comes to mind is, you know, maybe insiders right now about what, you know, cadre stuff or, you know, yeah. the, for for a Buffalo person, the Jack Eichel stuff comes to mind from you know the, the yeah. beginning part of the season, something like that. I wanted to ask you about that. Yeah, just kind of. I mean, I mean, just as far as like how it's. I guess I'm trying to understand the question. Here. <laughs> <But> <laughs> no, just like um, you know, do you have like a, a certain story? Maybe not that you wrote, but even one mm-hmm. that you you read where it's like. Oh, this one kind of, you know, just sort of like a, an example of like one that was more like a long play of like you were talking about those nuggets earlier and stuff. Yeah. Like, okay. like yeah, something yeah, for, yeah, 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 from an outsider's yeah, yeah. perspective. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think one of the one of the big ones that you kind of uh, here, I, here, I can actually here's funny. I can actually give you guys a good example of somehow how those nuggets come together because it's it's semi and this isn't even that. I'm not even trying to pat your guys back. It's just true. When you guys, when your skate skins deal with RJ stuff came through, yeah. right? So you guys, so you guys can kind of speak to that. You guys know a little bit more about that. That's something mm-hmm. where I had that story because I had talked to you guys and done that story on, on when you guys first, uh, when you guys first did, I think it was the air, the first air Jordan skate collab. Yeah. 12, 14 months earlier or whatever. Like, just mm-hmm. to give you an idea of an example that you guys can maybe know, know more about than anyone else. I reached when I, when you guys, uh, I think it was, was it Nick? I'm, I can remember if it was Nick or one, or I can't remember. Nick or Matt, I think. Nick or, yeah, Nick or Matt. Probably, yeah. yeah. And uh, we were, and when you guys were working on that and, and getting that all done and everything like that, I was able to tell that story because I've had the conversations with, with you guys about skate skins in the past. And I know how, how you guys run your show, how you guys do this and that all the stuff where talking to you guys about getting the particulars about, Hey, getting the, the RJ, getting the skate into Darlene's hands and everything like that. Like that obviously was the, the key nugget at the end that the news part, but all that other stuff comes from having that past relationship of like, okay, I know the story that needs to be told because of this. Like that's just to give you guys an example that relates directly to yeah. you guys. Like um, another one, it's not, it's not from this season, but like for me, one of the most important stories I've ever written in my career was on the, uh, was uh, Stephen Johns trusted me to tell his story with his uh, yes. dealing with, with his career coming to a close and because of dealing with his mental health. And that is a story where it came down to Stephen came back had started playing a little bit and everything like that. And every time him and I would chat, I basically told him like, Hey, um, if you ever want to tell your story, just let me know. And that was it. It was never, I never pushed on anything like that. I never went in and prodded or, or, or anything. And then 
when he was finally ready to tell that story, he bit, he told me that part of it was because I didn't push him on it. I didn't. So like, those are two direct, those are two stories. And then something from this past season, I'm just trying to think like an example. Um, I think you see it a lot. Uh, someone who's really good at, at kind of this is one of my coworkers in Minnesota. He's one of the, Mike Russo is one of the best beat writers mm. in the world, yep. but you see a lot of the stuff that, um, you see a lot of the stuff that happened with the, the, the Kaprizov news that recently happened and everything like that. A lot of that stuff that you're seeing now in public, right. Are things that Mike has known or has been working on confirming for, for weeks. And I think that's something that people, um, I think, I think that's kind of an outside perspective that people forget a lot about the industry. I think it's, um, Somebody once told me, I'm sure it's been told by a thousand people, but good journalism takes time, right? And there's yeah. and, and there's there's the things where you're like, okay, I may know this today and I may figure this out. I may know this part of this today, but am I going to to tell the best story? Am I how do I keep digging at that? Because the amount of times like you would know something or someone would be like, Oh, have you heard about this? Or someone on Twitter says, like, have you heard about this or anything like that? And you're like, well, maybe a reporter has, but if, uh, but they also may be working on it too. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think of a good example from this season. It's uh, the. I don't mean to put you on the spot with this season. No, no, it was yeah, no, just no, no, more. Yeah. It was more exactly what you told. I just took the long way of getting to yeah, yeah, the yeah, yeah. to the question yeah. there. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. No, it's um, no, it's a good. Yeah, I'm, I'm also. In a, I'm still in a little bit. As we said, I'm still a little bit of summer mode too. So I'm trying to. Think what definitely. <laughs> I feel you. If you the think se- of it, the season's got to all blend together too yeah. a lot at this point, right? Yeah. Like, there's probably some things you've written over oh, the years yeah. where you're like, "Oh, was that like 2018? Was that 2020?" Like, well, in the past two years, I mean, the past two years have been that things feel even longer, right? Where you're like, "Oh, wait, yeah. that was in." We went from like I remember I I took my first trip out to Seattle back in October. October of last year for just to go see the arena out there for the first time. And if you had told me that was within the past 12 months, I wouldn't believe you. That felt like forever ago. So. <laughs> now, now, side question yeah, off that. Yeah. What, how's yeah. that arena? Is it, is it cool there? It's very cool. It's, it's, it's one of the things that we run into with hockey. And part of it is just the nature of every arena, 85 by 200, whatever. Like it's hard to find unique hockey arenas, right? Like it's not like baseball. Like, like I, like, one thing, one of the great things about baseball is you can have all these different dimensions and places can look unique. And even with football, even NFL stadiums are a little bit more unique because you have the big, but NHL stadiums, very rarely are they like, very rarely do you go and you're like, Oh, I haven't been to this place before. Right. Like so many of them, you've been like, this is a hockey rink. It's like X, Y, and Z, or it's like this, like, Seattle is the, one of the few is one of the few NHL rinks where you walk in and you're like, this is different. It's a they've got the two right off the bat. They took the uh, so instead of the center one jumbotron in the middle, there's the two hanging over each blue line, which is uh, which is really which is really cool. And it's uh, I, I, at first you think it's weird and then you start to realize it actually makes a little more sense because you're looking your eyes basically go from one to the other based off where the play is and everything like yeah. that it actually works with the flow of play and then the other thing that's great about it too is the uh, they took kind of the old historical architecture of it and they kept the big windows up and very and, and many times when we're in a hockey ring 
it's just uh, there's no natural light in there at all. And yeah. so to kind of be in the arena that it feels somewhat subterranean because the uh, you walk in on you're walking and you're on the top level and then you go under and then and it's kind of in the arena and the arena is kind of dug into the ground and but to have the natural light and the big windows like it's really a unique arena. It's like it's one of those where it's. I would say I would tell people like you should go see a game in Seattle just because you're like okay they can do a hockey rink differently. So many hockey rinks are well it's a carbon copy of this one or it's a carbon copy of that one. That one is actually different from the beginning when you walk in, which is such a cool thing in this sport. Yeah, yeah, definitely because you got like you said it's going to be it's got to hold about twenty thousand people. Yep. Ice service has to be this this dimension. Got to have these specific boards, this glass penalty box benches here like there's not a ton of variation but no that's that's super cool i that was a good question there. i've always been very curious about that arena because yeah. i on the east coast i don't catch a lot of their games and they're not yeah. that good right now so yeah. it's like it's also, it's, only... also some, it's also something that doesn't show it's hard to for an nhl arena to look different on tv too just because exactly how shot like you can you watch a baseball game and you know you can you can see how a baseball stadium is different you can even see nfl you can still see how something's different because because of the panning shots and everything like that so it's hard to it's not that's also another reason that hockey rinks probably aren't that unique is because how the game's been shot on tv it doesn't have to be unique for anyone but the people in the building but that's yeah yeah definitely just the pace of play too like they're the stoppages are relatively quick they're not there's hardly any consistency to them outside of intermissions you never know what you're going to get. So, yeah, that's super interesting yeah. to think about. Yeah. We've yet, um, to see, yet to see a rink, though, perfect the flow of foot traffic during intermissions. Still got to uh, figure that one out. But. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, yeah. Now, there's uh, the newer arenas are – it's it's amazing when you think about, like, the uh, – when you go to the arenas that are actually pretty good for it. Because, like – so, I – being right here in Detroit, like so, the arena here is is a really nice arena. They did a nice job, and it's it's the flow of foot traffic is not great, but it's great compared to some of the old places. Like right, you you go, like it's it's amazing where the bar is for that for that flow of foot traffic for the concourse and everything. Because yeah, there's some places that are so much better now, but then it's still such a low bar to clear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the bar is definitely not very yeah. high. Um, yeah. yeah. As someone who frequents the Key Bank Center, I uh, I can definitely attest to that. That, not, that one's not too bad though. It really is like three thousand people yeah. in the arena, but well, yeah. So we'll see how we'll see how that changes in the next few years here. Mister Tudor feeling all good about himself because the Pens are re-signing everybody left and right. <laughs> that's all right. It's it's gonna hurt me in a few years, but I'll that's, I'll you've enjoy had a, the ride. Yeah, exactly. You've had an amazing run. Don't think about that. I uh, you'll be good. It'll bounce back quickly, um, but yeah, what are you? Uh, uh, what have you made of like free agency and stuff so far? Mm-hmm. I know we've talked about yeah. the Adidas thing, but has there been anything that's like really surprised you? I mean, I'd be mean, Johnny Goudreau picking Columbus is kind yeah. of like an obvious one, but you know, yeah. if you want to speak on that or anything else that stood out yeah. to you personally, to me, the uh, I mean, to me, the biggest fact is we're having this conversation right now, and Nazem Kadri is still not signed. That's that yeah. to me is the is the, is the big is the biggest just kind of that we don't have a signing there yet, but um, it's I think we're seeing and I don't know about surprise, but I don't think we're talk I don't think we've talked enough about I don't think enough has been said about 
how much the flat cap it's not just the flat cap it's also how this summer has been such a big example of how you combine the flat cap with how player career arcs are viewed has is why is why we've seen such a weird summer of free agency because it's been kind of a perfect collision course of that right like it used to be guy comes off his entry level deal signs a team friendly deal as an RFA and then tries to get his first big payday at 27 28 years old and that's kind of the 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 arc for when players hit their prime and players know it has changed right so now we've reached the point where guys are you come off you're coming off that entry-level deal and guys want to get paid because they know that they're going to be at their peak for in their 23 24 25 year old seasons and that was something that it used to be it used to be the old cliche of like, oh, a guy hits his prime at 27, 28 years old. That doesn't happen anymore. Like it's now yeah. the game is now at a spot where the prime player is is five is, is five years younger. And and so we're seeing we see, saw such an inflation. We've seen such an inflation in kind of like the the space for younger guys are getting paid earlier in their careers, which is which is which is great. And that's what should happen. That's the you guys should be getting paid in the primes of their careers. But at the same time, because of what happened with uh, with how much the world and the NHL was rocked by COVID with the flat cap, the salary cap has never reflected that. And so you have this, you kind of, it kind of created this perfect storm where the big names are still getting theirs, but the middle class of contracts is getting kind of, has, has kind of got squeezed out. Like it used to be like, oh, well, you could sign a third line center for $3 million. Now yeah. you sign a third line center for, and you would sign it, sign that guy for $3 million and think like, okay, well I'll cap will go up in two years and it won't even be a big deal. That kind of contract is kind of just, it has been kind of been take, is, is kind of disappearing. You're seeing these spots where teams are going to pay their big guys because they have to, and they've got to figure out how to, how to make that work. And teams are looking at their rosters and like, okay, well, this is why we have, we have to move some, even some big names. Like, I mean, Ryan McDonough, Got given basically given away because yeah. because of the uh, because Tampa because of, because of what happened with the cap and Tampa had the had Sergachev and the other young guys who were like okay we have to pay these guys what are we going to do you have to kind of start exporting out the, the middle class of the roster and and so that's been one of the biggest things for me as you look at this summer free agency and what's happened it's um, like the the Kling, like John Klingberg signing with the Ducks for one year like he's someone who in a normal in a normal year. John Klingberg is getting a multi-year contract and some team is bringing him in to, and some, and some team is bringing him in to, to run their top power play on day one of free agency. But yeah. because of where the cap is and how guys and teams are being more cautious about how they, how they pay guys. And all of a sudden the number of teams interested in a John Klingberg for what he's, for what he's worth dis- start to disappear. And then you had teams say like, okay, we're, we're going to try to find the more cost-effective option like for example carolina would have been a destination probably for likely destination for klingberg but instead they went with the discount option and and, and traded for brent burns right like it's something where as pieces like that started to get moved and things started to fill up um it's been a more fascinating free agency that way i'm sure a lot of agents and players aren't happy about it because they're not getting (laughs) as much as, as as they'd like but it's been an interesting thing to see how certain teams manage and, and, and handle their books because we're re- we reached kind of a true point this summer where it was like, do you want to 
get paid or do you want to win? That's kind of the question yeah. that a lot of players had to face. And sometimes guys do face that question and everything like that. But I think <laughs> that question, I think that was more prevalent than ever this summer because of where we are with the league coming out of this flat cap era combined with younger guys having the priority of getting these, these major paydays and everything like that. It's been, it's been interesting. I mean, the other, the other, the other two big thing that's been just been great. It's like, it's been, it's great to see. And I feel bad for, I feel bad for the people. I feel bad for Calgary because like it's, they, they lost two of them. They lost both of them. One of the things that makes the NBA entertaining many times is you have the player movement. You have volatile rosters. I mean, you have the, um, you have, you have the, what, what, what happens when some, well, you, if you go play like franchise mode in any video game, Madden, NHL, FIFA, whatever, <laughs> right? Like how many times do you overturn your roster in the course of a season? Right? Like, like, oh, like, oh. like you're, 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 you're trading, like you're making like 15 trades during the season. And that's what, and, and that's what the NBA is the closest thing in real life to that. And that's why casual fans, more casual fans tune into the NBA. They're like, Oh, you can see roster. And so, Seeing big names actually change hands, seeing seeing Goudreau go to Goudreau to go to Columbus, which was a stunning move, is 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 great for the game. Seeing an actual trade of two MVP caliber candidates is great for the game. You, mm-hmm. It feels you feel for the people in Calgary because they lost both those guys, but in general, it's great for the sport because you're talking about you're talking about big names moving and, and players wanting to position themselves and things like that, like. Like I, I think it's, it's it's great. It's been it's kind of uh, the, the other thing I, I will be interested to see with the NHL, and this is just me spitballing here, will be to see kind of how we keep because hockey players have forever been the like, all right, well, I got my spot, I'm gonna sign my eight year deal, and I'm gonna stick there, and that's one of the reasons that they never move. Where in other sports, I think the longest you can sign in the NBA is a five year deal. I, I don't know the exact number, but it's something like that. Like, yeah, I don't know either. Yeah, the, but it's something where, like, it's the NHL, when you have more guys signing shorter deals, it's better for the rest of us. Just like we mentioned Klingberg before. Like, I think the Ducks did a great piece of business by signing him to a one year deal. They're a team we don't think is going to make the playoffs, and they're going to be able to move basically buy a pretty high draft pick by moving at the deadline. So, yeah. Yeah. That's like one thing, too, that's interesting is listening to some some different people's takes on some of the movement this offseason it seems like a lot of the younger players like what you're talking about are understanding the business of hockey more now and how yep. to leverage their situation to make the most money young and you look at a guy like like Matthew Kachuk that just kind of did that when now is in Florida it's like that's a guy who clearly understood what he could do to get the most out of his situation. And that's something that I don't think that young of a guy does 10 years ago. Right. I mean, yeah. Not even 10 years not ago. Even, not even five years ago. Yeah. Probably not even five years ago. I mean, players have started to realize how much, um, I think they've realized that they've realized what they can do, the power they have and what's in. And we talked about that prime age now of, taking advantage of that prime age. Um, and I think also guys realize that the other thing that, that guys start to realize more is it's not, it's, it's not easy to win. Like I know that's incredibly cliche to do it, to say and everything like that, but you start to see like you see these, you hear all the younger players, hear stories from older players who like, uh, like let's say like, like Austin Matthews, 
spent the last three. Uh, Spezza was with Toronto for three years. However long Jason Spezza was with Toronto, right? Like you're talking mm-hmm. about, like like Jason Spezza never won a Stanley Cup, right? Yeah. Like for example, like you think about like that, and I think players, younger guys who are who are great, are starting to realize like I want to win. If I want to be a MVP caliber player and a winning team, I'm going to do it in my prime. And I think guys are have are becoming less patient about that, which in theory should make the league better overall. Um, the, just the hope is the hope is that it just rises all ships and we don't end up with a big haves versus have nots system. Yeah. It's just a, there's two routes that can go, and you just kind of have to hope that it goes to the level of like, okay, we're going to see many teams saying like, okay, we're we're pushing in the right direction and instead of there being a big divide between. So that's just kind of, as you look to the future, that's what you hope for as with, with this young class of players and everything. So I love it. Yeah. What, um, I mean, with that in mind, you mentioned before we got off on this tangent, Kadri, like what, what do you think? I mean, I don't know if you're hearing anything at all, but that you would share, but like, what is the deal here? Yeah. Cause If you saw just really quick what yeah. it took to be successful in the playoffs and a common theme mm-hmm. among deep running teams, as fast and as skilled as this sport gets, you need pain in the ass type of players. And he is a top, what, three at that in the league as far as can kind yeah. of do everything. Yeah. So it's like I, I can't get my head around how he's not signed. Yeah, I think it's – and I don't know this. This is just me. I don't know this for – from a, from a fact or anything. This is just me right. reading the situation from afar on Kadri. I mean, Kadri is a classic example where he wants that, he wants that final, he's in a, he's in an age and in his career and he plays that style where it is, it is a bear and it is physical. And he played, he had the injury in the Stanley cup playoffs. He's a guy who, He's at that spot where I think he went into this offseason with the full intention of signing the last big contract of his career. And yeah. I think and and whether six, five, six, seven, eight years, whatever, how well, it couldn't be eight years, but five, six, seven years, whatever. And the reality of of how many teams were stuck against the cap, as other guys started to sign, as other pieces started to fall, the his options for that multi-year deal where started to dis the, the long-term deal started to disappear. I think all, all 32 NHL teams would take him in a heartbeat on their team right now, but oh, yeah. it's are do you want to be paying X amount of millions of dollars for him four years from now when your young RFA is going to be up for an extension. And I think that's where GM started to collectively start to, not cool on him, but they, they started to be like, do we have the space? Do we have that? And so I think it kind of, it came to a sense of Kadri with his market. He may have to do something that we talked about Klingberg earlier. He may have to do something that Klingberg ends up doing. He may have to sign a shorter, he may have to sign a one-year deal. He may have to sign a one-year deal to get his market value financially this season. And then with hopefully the cap goes up next season and then maybe he goes at it again, but he'll be a year older. Like he's, he's at that spot where he, I think he has to make a decision. Like if you're, if you're Nazem Kadri's advisor or whatever, I think you're looking at two options of this. You're like, okay, we can take, we can find a long-term deal, but it's not going to be the financial one we wanted, 
or we take a larger financial deal for one year and take a gamble that we'll still be able to get that long, that we'll be able to get a better long-term deal next year. And I think that's kind of the decision. I think Kadri didn't want to have to make. I think he yeah. went into this summer and, and, and he went into the summer believing that there would be something on the table that would be both the term, both the term uh, and years and the term financially that would be, that would replicate, that would be a reward for what he did with Colorado, what he did in the playoffs and everything like that. And just, it, it wasn't there. And now he has to kind of reassess, figure out what the next best way to handle that is. And that's, that's why he's unsigned. I'm still surprised he's unsigned. Like I, I, I would not have yeah. expected us to make it to August with him being unsigned. Um, so we will, uh, I mean, for all we, I, I do, I do wonder if there is a, I, I do wonder if there is a Dom if he if if the Kadri signing is the last big not the last but the next big domino for something like I, I wonder if someone is lo- there's a GM looking at signing Kadri who says like I really want to give him the deal in the term he wants but, but they got to move some money they got to move it. somebody else yes and so I'm I'm curious if that's going to be if we're going to have one more and I don't even know what it is that's why I'd be surprised all of us I'm I wouldn't. I, I'm, I'm wondering if we're going to see another deal like that where we'll see a player get moved. Um, like, for example, no one expected Columbus to move Bjorkstrand. But, of course, if you're Columbus, you get the choice of – Columbus had no idea that, that – uh, if Columbus knew Johnny Goudreau was going to pick them, they wouldn't have signed Gabranson to four years. Yeah. Right? Like, that's like – like, like, for example, Columbus doesn't sign Gabranson if they knew Goudreau was going to pick them. Because, and then of course, you're not going to say no to Johnny Goudreau, but once you've already signed Gabranson and now you have Johnny Goudreau, okay, you're trading away a almost a nearly a 30 goal scorer and giving him away to Seattle. So I wonder if we'll see another move like that from a team who looks at Kadri as that last piece or as a guy that we, we're going to do this, but we've got to find someone else to take our guy making X amount of dollars, or we got to find, we got to, we got to move another guy out and. May, I think I think that may be the next. I, I think Kadri will either sign. My gut says Kadri will either sign for one year, and then we go through this all again next summer with him, or we'll have kind of a August surprise of some team moving a bunch of cap space and doing some weird retention stuff and everything to get it done to bring him in. Yeah, I can see it. I can see either one honestly at this point because I mean you got the, the Klingberg example, you got Taylor Hall from a couple of years ago yep. like that. But you also have the Matthew Kachuk thing where mm-hmm. – and so that'll be super interesting. Tudes, what do you got? Yeah, one thing I, I kind of wanted to get back toward kind of the yeah. business of the sport and, and the area you focus on is, as you mentioned before, Adidas, after this contract is up, is not coming back to do the NHL jerseys. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to kind of get some insight from you in terms of – you know, not necessarily anything that you're hearing about, like what company may slide in next if that hasn't been announced, but more so, what is the process for that yeah. for another apparel company that wants to come in and maybe make a bid to get that contract? Yeah. So, well, I mean, right now it's two. It's because we got Adidas has still has the deal for this season and the following season. So we still have mm-hmm. at least we're still at least probably. 18 months from knowing who the next Jersey provider would be. And frankly, that's how the NHL should do it. If you're going to, you don't make a deal for two years from now 
today if, if unless someone comes out and completely blows you out of the water with an offer but you're probably the best business option is to wait slow play to slow play this and wait but essentially for how it will work is the nhl adidas is out and that deal is it's an interesting one because there are sometimes the nhl backs out of something there's sometimes the other the the, the the sponsor backs out of things the adidas one is interesting because it was a little bit of both. It was more so Adidas. Adidas is kind of refocusing. Adidas has always been, from my understanding of Adidas, was more of we're going to step back from hockey a little bit because we have, like every company, they've been impacted by COVID and they're figuring out how they're going to spend their money and everything like that. And and Adidas obviously made its money in soccer and everything like that. And is that's kind of where Adidas is going to continue to to live in that space. And so for, they were kind of looking at kind of pulling back a bit there. Um, other places where it's like, like the NHL and Powerade, for example, the NHL was the one that backed out of Powerade that backed away from Powerade and eventually signed BioSteel because they were looking for a larger financial deal. This one, what we will kind of see happen is the NHL now will has, has reached out to other apparel providers than Nike, CCM, Reebok, name it, whatever, whatever. And the, the the bid's open. Basically, that's kind of what it is. And it's going to be, okay, there's the, the, the bid's open. We have Adidas this year and Adidas next year. Um, we are going to, but next jersey provider is available. Um, and it's going to be, that's kind of like that bat signal now is out there, right? And there's going to yeah. be, it's, it's, it's just like what happened with the TV deal where NBC, when NBC was out, that bat signal or so all kind of went out. And that's, that's kind of how Turner ended up involved with the NHL where no one really thought number throughout the whole TV stuff. Everyone's like, oh, okay, we, we know NBC's out. We think it's going to be, everyone's like, is it going to be ESPN? Is it going to be CBS? Is it going to be Fox? Like no one thought it was going to be Turner. Turner kind of came out of nowhere almost on that deal. And part of it goes back to Turner looking at it, seeing it's available and somewhere somewhere someone inside Turner said, you know what, let's go for it. And that's kind of where that stage of the next NHL Jersey is right now. Whoever is going to be the next NHL Jersey provider, whether it's Nike, CCM, Reebok, whatever. Um, somewhere right now, there's the conversation within that company of like, you know what, maybe this is something we want to go after. Maybe we want to get, and that's kind of what that stage is of this. And then the NHL is going to be basically in a spot where it's going to have those conversations. It's going to, listen to the offers it's going to be listening to the the financial thing and and like and like anything this is going to come down who is going to give the who's going to give the most money <laughs> and that's and that's who's, who's going to yeah. be willing to invest the most money into it and the nhl is also going to be at a spot where it's a, going to be very it's a very interesting time when it comes to jerseys as well because next year we're going into the space where you will have the uh, on Jersey advertisement for the first time in league history, right? Like next year we're going to have the, the Jersey patch. Um, and we're starting to see more money in jerseys from that realm, not from people buying them, but from all of a sudden Caesar Sportsbook is right. Like, like right. Caesar Sportsbook is giving the capitals. I believe it's $5 million a year for the patch on the Jersey. We're seeing more an influx of money coming into Jersey's, on that front that maybe that's something if you're an apparel provider, that's something you look at as a way. Okay. I can, I can leverage my brand and do with that and, and, and some growth in that realm. So 
it's going to be a how things grow and how this kind of goes all around is going to be fascinating. The other thing that I think the NHL did that just opens up just to keep something in mind is I do think the NHL has realized and gotten into this space as a business unit where it can be different. I, I think for so long, the NHL was like, we have to be, this works for the NFL. This works for the NBA. This works for baseball. We have to do what they do. And I think the sports drink deal with BioSteel is a perfect example of the NHL realizing we can be different and that's okay. Like if, if I had told you 10 years ago, like, Oh, the NHL is going to ditch Powerade or Gatorade or whatever to go to something called BioSteel, people would be like, they're crazy that they're, they're still, but then, you would have had no idea 10 years ago that BioSteel would be willing to double the price that they're giving the NHL that, that Powerade was giving them. So I think the NHL, like, don't, like, the Blue Blood brands, the Nikes, the CCMs of the world, like, don't be surprised if they're that. But I also think the NHL has opened itself up to maybe there's another brand out there or another apparel provider out there or something else that could want to get in on this. And the NHL isn't going to say – well, we have to. We only can think about these four companies because this is what the NFL does. So I, I think that's a good thing for hockey. So it will be interesting to see where it goes. I mean, um, the one thing that will, and, and the other one that that and that people get scared of on Twitter, and I don't know if it's right or wrong, is people always question, okay, what is the long term future for Fanatics too? Because Fanatics is obviously they they run a lot of retail. Um, they, they run retail stores for the NHL. They may rec- make replicas and everything like that. But Fanatics has never been a on-field jersey provider, right? And yeah. so it's going to be interesting to see if Fanatics is a company that says, okay, we want to actually create a professional-facing side of our business. Because that doesn't exist for Fanatics right now. Fanatics right now, the only customer is is, is, is the fan. It's not the, actual, it's not the actual in-game product and so it'll be interesting to see if fanatics like i know i know a lot of people were kind of like on twitter were like oh no i don't want fanatics to get it i don't know if that's as much of a slam dunk to happen i've seen some great tweets about that yeah yeah (laughs) i but i I just i don't know if that's as much a fan slam dunk to happen because i don't know if fanatics is going to that would require fanatics to launch an entire another arm of their arm of their uh of their company and i don't know if that's something they want to do so they're, they're, and they're already tackling a ton of other things. They bought tops. They got the trading card deal with a with baseball and everything like that. So um, yeah. it will be interesting to see where that goes. For sure. Sean, this has been a blast as always, man. It is so insightful and fun talking with you. I'm so glad we were able to catch up. I feel like I could do this for two more hours with you. Would love to, to catch up sometime maybe during the season and you know, kind of a halfway point, see where things are at. But it's always such a pleasure talking with you. Thanks so much again for making the time for us. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. It's been fun. It's always a blast talking with Sean Shapiro. Make sure you give him a follow on uh, Twitter, mainly where you can see his stuff, check out the post for his articles, um, and follow him at The Athletic and all the great work he does there with his stories. And you all know where you can follow us. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. We will be back next week for another new episode. Thanks for joining us, everybody. See you later.